Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. All right, I'm going to welcome you to another edition of Take It to the Bank. I got my boy Vasily Morico's with me, and we're going to be joined later by Kyle P. Barber, the managing editor of Baltimore Beatdown. We're going to talk training camp. We're going to continue with our usual segments with the schedule preview, our rookie breakdown, and our AFC North rankings. There's a ton to talk about. Football is back. It's awesome. The Ravens were the first team to start camp. I've been there. It's, it's a great environment there. It's seemingly a different feel to it than previous years and I don't know whether it's John Harbaugh's on the hot seat whether the Lamar Jackson coming in or or pushing Joe Flacco out I don't really know what exactly it is but there's just a different feel in inside the castle and I do want to talk about that a little bit but uh how you doing today man I'm doing pretty good Logan how are you I'm doing really good man I'm just so pumped that football's back dude like the dog days of summer are finally over like things are like the light is almost at the end of the tunnel we can almost see it we're almost here I mean we're right now we're 10 days away from the Hall of Fame game nine when you're going to be listening to this but we're recording it on Monday so we're 10 days away it's awesome there's just so much to talk about and the first thing we're going to talk about is just training camp, you know, just general kind of news and notes that we've been going on. Baltimore Beatdown has been sending at least one person there every day, and we're kind of your eyes and ears there for you guys if you guys can't make it out there. So definitely give us a follow on Twitter at Be More Beatdown or just go to the website and you can check us out there. But uh, training camp's awesome, you know, and I just want to start with this is Robert Griffin III. And this is something that me and you both were kind of in lockstep about is we didn't think that he had a chance to make the roster. And I'm going to be honest with you. He looked absolutely incredible at training camp. His arm was lively. He was accurate. He was dapping up guys. He was smacking butts. He was helping Lamar. He was doing everything. And I know he was only getting those third team reps, but he was looking really good. And he really turned, it caught my eye with how impressive he was. Cause I didn't think he was going to be that good, especially when the Ravens signed him. But He's been a guy that really is uh, I've taken notice of. Uh, as the saying goes, iron sharpens iron. Uh, you know, we, we have not given him a good chance to make the roster, but who knows? Maybe we're wrong. We'll see how it plays in the preseason. Uh, so, Logan, I know you were out of camp on Sunday for the first padded practice. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. I'm really interested to know how the offensive line is coming together, specifically Orlando Brown, a right tackle. Yes, so Orlando Brown was one of the guys that I was keying in on when I went there. When I went to camp, that's a guy that I really wanted to look at and watch and see what's going on with him and and with Joe D. And he was one of one of my stars of the practice. He was one of my winners for sure. Uh, Joe D was talking to him very often. They consistently had a dialogue, and it seems like Brown was very receptive of what he was saying. Some of the things I heard Joe D was talking about was leverage and positioning, and it seemed like every time. Brown's positioning and leverage in terms of getting in the right spot and using his body instead of more of his muscle to get the guy. Because if you're in better as an offensive lineman, if you're in good position, that's all, that's more than half the battle. And he was certainly there most of the time. Jody seemed very impressed with his development. 
He was getting most of the reps at right tackle because Marshall Yon is out. Obviously, he's on the pup list, so that puts James Hurst at the right guard spot. So Brown's seemingly taking most of the snaps at right tackle with the first team, and he's making the most of it. Well, that's good to hear. We certainly need a big year out of him. I'm also starting to get a little bit concerned about the center position. Who do you think has the early edge in that competition based on what you saw? Yeah, that's definitely an interesting uh, competition to look at. I know that Skura was the favorite coming in, Matt Skura, but he kind of struggled a little bit along camp, and it's kind of been a, a real rotation between him and Alex Lewis in terms of that first team snaps where Lewis has been playing left guard sometimes, then going to center, and then Skura would go to left guard. Uh, I thought that Lewis played better at center and left guard, honestly, than Skura. Skura's had a lot of trouble kind of defending uh, the bull rush, specifically from Willie Henry. Willie Henry's looked pretty good, too. That's a little bit of a side piece, but uh, as always. But Skura struggled a little bit. Uh, Lewis looked strong. I know he had a brief injury today where he looked like he got rolled up on, but he got back up and uh, was able to continue to practice. But there's a couple of things that I want to mention about the offensive line because it is a revolving door. And the other thing is Bradley Bozeman was a guy that we thought had some sort of chance in the center competition. But from what I saw, he wasn't getting very many reps at center. He was actually playing a lot of left guard. Marquise Shakir was actually getting most of the second and third team snaps at center. So maybe he's got more of a chance than many, many pegged him to. But at, so far in terms of the offensive line, I think if I was guessing today, I think Stanley would be your starting left tackle. I would think that James Hurst would be the starting left guard. Alex Lewis would be the center. Marshall Yonda would be the right guard. And Brown Jr. would be the right tackle. I would think that Skura could be start off as the bench. Well, that starting five that you're projecting is a lot of size. So five maulers from left to right there. I noticed in your well-crafted uh, piece that you wrote about practice on Sunday that Jermaine Illuminor was taking reps at left tackle while Ronnie Stanley was out, which to me is a very intriguing development. I never, never really thought of him as a, as a guy that could play tackle, but apparently he has the quick feet to go along with the size. And uh, the Ravens definitely need some depth there at tackle. Maybe maybe we are underestimating his chances to make this club and maybe to, to be one of the top backups. Illuminor was actually a guy that we didn't, Honestly, I didn't give him much of a chance to really make any sort of chance or, or make any push to be a starter, but Ronnie Stanley was out, and the Ravens had plenty of other options. They could have put it left tackle. I mean, they could have put Hurst there, and then they could have put Illuminor at right guard because we've seen them do that before, but they decided to put Illuminor at left tackle, and he held his own. Yes, certainly there were some growing pains with it, but he held his own for the most part, and I don't think that he's going to beat out Ronnie Stanley at all. I'm not even sure if he's going to crack the starting lineup. But he was certainly impressive in that role, and I, he definitely is going to be one of the primary backups. I just think that that adds more to his kind of stock, roster stock, if you could say, because he can seemingly now play four positions on the line. He can play both guards and both tackle spots. So he was definitely impressive for sure. But I don't know. I, I think that when you're evaluating Luminor, the thing with him is he was labeled as a project, and he was a project. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick out of Texas A&M. He was a mauler. He's very physical, but he's very raw. His footwork has, leaves a lot to be desired. His, his movement with his hands and his fighting is definitely has a lot to be desired as well. He's definitely got to work on that. But with another year of camp, more development with Joe D and the rest of the guys, I think that he could take another step in his towards his developments, but I wouldn't expect him to be a starter this year. That's intriguing for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I know that most of the veterans have been kind of getting eased into camp this year with the extra week of practice and John Harbaugh trying to keep his team healthy. You know, some a lot of the guys don't have a lot to prove. So this is really a time that the rookies can shine. And I wanted to hear your impressions of, especially the defensive backs, 
Anthony Averett, Deshaun Elliott. How do they look in coverage? Absolutely, and I'm actually going to go one different direction before I get into those rookies, uh, the rookie defensive backs. Zach Seiler was looking really good uh, in individual drills, very explosive off the ball. He's kind of a guy that not many people are expecting to make much make the roster, but he could be more than just a practice squad guy. He could be a rotational player and can kind of be a pass rusher because he was very explosive off the ball. He didn't do that much in the team drills, but he was very impressive in the individual drills, and I believe though that will eventually translate. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, as you know, he laid that big hit, or two big hits, I should say, on Sunday where he was able to – he knocked uh, Nick Kaiser, uh, undrafted free agent uh, tight end out of Grand Valley State – Flat on his butt, made him drop the ball. And then he had another big hit against Jalen Ackland, another undrafted free agent, where he also dropped the ball. And I know uh, defensive coordinator Don Wake Martindale kind of talked about, well, yeah, we kind of talked to him about that. We didn't want to be that aggressive, but it's better, it's better to be able to have to rein in a guy in terms of his aggressiveness than force him or tell him multiple times that he's got to be more aggressive. Elliott definitely is everything that I thought he'd be in a little bit more. He's fast. He's rangy. He's definitely a lot better than – or a lot more pro-ready, I should say, at this point than I thought he was going to be. Again, it's only the, the fourth day of training camp, so I can't get that that much of a take from him. But I was very impressed with him so far. Anthony Averett is another guy who blew me away. Uh, he, he was doing a lot of press coverage. That's what Wink was calling him, and it was incredible. I mean, he was doing the perfect technique with his hands, forcing the guys to the sidelines. And Averett had a couple PBUs from what I saw. I know Kyle mentioned uh, the practice that he was at. Anthony Averett had three pass breakups, and so... Averitt has been impressive as well. He could certainly battle Tavon Young for that slot position as well. Emery's candidate. That's great to hear. I've been watching a lot of tape on Averitt in preparation for our film review that we're going to break down later in this episode. And he does excellent technique. And when you really think about it, the Ravens have had added so many talented young players to that secondary between cornerback and safety over the last two or three drafts. And it's excellent to see after a few years there where they started to rely on some journeymen journeyman veterans for a while that didn't really cut it. Definitely good to have that depth there. Uh, and as far as the second-year players, uh, are we thinking Marlon Humphrey's going to take that next step to the Pro Bowl? How about the edge rushers, uh, Tyus Bowser and Timmy Williams, and also the safety, Chuck Clark? Clark, had, when I was there, Clark, a little bit at an up-and-down day, struggled a little bit in coverage because Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson, as you mentioned before, they kind of had a lot of rest because Harbaugh was kind of easing all of his veterans into action, so those guys were getting more snaps, so the younger guys at least. So Clark was an interesting guy to watch because I thought he struggled a little bit with his – he was a little bit slower in his hip movement. He wasn't as fluid as I thought he would be. Definitely some growing pains there. Uh, the edge rushers, the linebackers that you mentioned, Tim Williams and Tyus Bowser, certainly two guys that the Ravens definitely need to progress in their development. And I actually wrote an article today about three players the Ravens could trade. I left off to Darius Smith, but – the Darius Smith could certainly be a trade piece if Tyus Bowser and Tim Williams can can move forward in their development. Tim Williams still struggled a little bit. I wasn't overly impressed with him. He got outmatched a couple times. I believe um, one of the undrafted free agents, Randon Corsilius, actually bought, uh, pancaked him in a way. And you definitely don't want to see that if you're looking for Tim Williams because he's a guy who relies on his strength and his speed and his speed rush. So not the greatest sign for him. Tyus Bowser was had a little bit of a better practice. I liked his his movement, I liked how quick he was able to diagnose plays because he was right in the backfield most of the times. He was solid in dropping in coverage. Uh, Bowser could certainly compete for snaps. Very good. I think Bowser is one of the most important players on the team this year. And then I guess the, the other question is, are the Ravens going to be able to salvage any of these players that we've deemed busts? I know they're doing 
trying to do some different things to get Brashad Perryman, Bronson Kafusi, and Kamala Correa more involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting, and it's such a great point to bring up, is that the Ravens, you talked about the, the, the high misses that they had, especially with Kafusi, Correa, and Perryman, and now they're putting them in to different spots than they've ever put them before. You know, Perryman's kind of now going into that gunner role at special teams. Now the Ravens are kind of set at gunner, but they're trying to see where they can put him, what they can do with him, and if they can find a way to keep him. You look at Correa, they're using him with more versatility on the outside and the inside. Correa, to me, I believe is going to be gone regardless. He just hasn't shown much. He hasn't looked very good at camp. Kafusi, he, I, I was told today that he played outside linebacker, and I looked back, and I think he did, where he played out some outside linebacker BYU, which is pretty interesting because they were taking, they were having him play some snaps at outside linebacker, and he looked pretty good, you know, but he looked better in space. Joe Colon, defensive line coach, kind of talked about how he looked better in space. He'd be able to use his athleticism because he is, he is a freak athlete. I mean, people forget that he used to be a basketball player as well, so putting him in space and letting him go against the tackles where he's got more room to work could definitely be better for his development, but he definitely is fighting an uphill battle for sure. Any other overarching thoughts on the practice before we check in with Kyle? I do want to say that the the talk about Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco is very interesting to me because I think that everyone has different takeaways about it, but here, I, I'm, we're not going to get into it too much, but I will say this. Lamar Jackson's been up and down. I think as, as a rookie, you expect those growing pains. Everything that we thought he was going to be, that's exactly what he is. You know, he's fast, he's athletic, he's shifties, mobile, he's, every, uh, he's elusive, but he also struggles with accuracy. You know, you can see it sometimes where he'll throw dimes, and I mean 60-yard bombs that are just perfectly accurate, tight spirals, and other times he'll throw passes where it's not even in the direction of the receiver. So he's definitely struggled a little bit in practice, but it's getting better day by day from what I've been told. So definitely some positive developments there, but Joe Flacco has looked just as sharp as I've ever seen him. Uh, his footwork, that's what I've been keying on. His footwork looks really good. Uh, the day that I went, it was very consistent, uh, which is something we don't really see from Flacco. His deep ball was looking pretty good. I know it's against air sometimes, but against in the team drills and the 11 drills, his deep ball looked very good, and I was very impressed with that from him. But again, for me, with Flacco, it, it just matters what, what are you going to do once the real pads come on and once the real games start, start to be played. Sure, when the bullets start flying, that can change things. But I will agree with your, your statement at the opening of this segment that there does seem to be a little bit of a different attitude from the Ravens this year just from just from the interviews at the podium I mean they're very workmanlike very professional and they seem very excited to continue to improve and they're really dedicated this year absolutely so now we're going to check in with managing editor Kyle P. Barber he's been there almost every single day he's got some great takeaways from it so we're going to go check in with Kyle okay we want to welcome managing editor of Baltimore Beatdown Kyle P. Barber and Kyle has been at training camp almost every single day He's been right there for uh, behind the enemy lines right here for Baltimore Beatdown for us, doing all the dirty work for us. Uh, Kyle, how you doing tonight? Doing really well, Logan. How you been? I'm doing pretty good, man. Pretty good. So training camp started. We're, we just had the fourth day of practice today. What are your kind of takeaways four days in? I know it's tough to kind of get a big takeaway right now just because the guys just put on pads. What are you kind of thinking? What are you feeling about this team? Actually, uh, first off, they didn't even have pads on today. They went back to the shorts and uh, just basic athletic gear. They didn't even have the pads on, so that's another day without hitting, and I think they did it because it was so rainy outside and uh, the weather really wasn't in the, the Ravens' favor. But as for general outlines, uh, I'm excited with the offense. The Ravens have actual NFL receivers from wide receiver one all the way down through four, as opposed to uh, the recent years of deciphering which undrafted free agent wide receiver is going to make the roster and make plays and you know produce 400 yards and four touchdowns or more uh, i'm really 
excited with the running game. I'm excited with Alex Collins. His footwork looks impeccable. He's got some hands on him as well as, you know, just him being able to run the football. I don't see any way he doesn't rush for less than a thousand yards unless uh, injury or something major happens with the offensive line. Speaking of the offensive line, I really like Orlando Brown and how much he's worked in both as right guard and right tackle. Skura has been, you know, working really well at the center position. We'll see if that sticks once the pads come on for a couple days and throughout the preseason when we get to watch these actual games and maybe the practices against the Rams. I mean, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue are both on that defensive line. That'll be pretty unique. And as far as the defense goes, I'm excited that everybody's so healthy. Nobody expected Jimmy Smith to be out there seven months after tearing his Achilles. Tavon Young's back after his ACL tear in uh, 2017 during OTAs. Everybody looks like they're healthy and ready to play some football. Uh, the young draft picks are already you know, paying dividends as far as I'm concerned. Anthony Averett had three pass breakups and a quote-unquote sack because you can't really hit the actual quarterbacks in practice, of course. Uh, I like Kenny Young. He had a great pass breakup on a third-down situation against Joe Flacco, and they were doing red zone drills, so that was a big plus. I'm really looking forward to this team this year, and they got a lot of exciting options and opportunities, and there there are still holes that we can still talk about and get to watch and see how the Ravens uh, shake everything up in the end. Absolutely, and I, th- I want to talk about the offensive line for a second because when I was there, I saw that they were kind of rotating in and out. We talked about it before in a previous segment with Vasily is that um, Skura and Lewis were switching off the snaps at center, and I noticed that Bozeman wasn't really getting really any snaps at center, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, what have you kind of what have you kind of seen from the offensive line from that standpoint? I know, like you mentioned, they've only had pads one day, so hard to really get a good grasp of what's going on. But what are your kind of takeaways from that unit so far? I really like seeing you know Ronnie Stanley in there. He's been, he he missed one day of practice, but uh, nonetheless, I think he's doing really well, and and uh, he's standing beside Alex Lewis, and those two are a pretty potent part of the left side. But as you did mention, uh, both Alex Lewis and Matt Scorer are rotating in and out at center and left guard, see which one shakes out if they want Lewis under center because Scorer is a better left guard or if they want Scorer in there because he's a better center. We'll see how that really rotates. I'm looking forward to that uh, battle shake out. I'm actually pretty excited about it because I did like Matt Scorer last year. He did some great run blocking. I remember seeing him multiple times, you know, pushing the pile, uh, getting into the second level for Alex Collins on some of those big runs and some screen passes as well as uh, Basile has mentioned. Uh, right guard, the right tackle combination of, of James Hurst and Orlando Brown. That's going to be something exciting to look on. Uh, and my overall is, you know, I don't see this team being a bad blocking team, either in the pass or the run game. It'll be unique to see where they land. You know, I don't think they're going to be a, you know, a top three threat. But if players start, you know, producing well and, and Jody Alessandris, uh, you know, him as the, the Ravens O-line coach, he's done really good over the last few seasons, last couple seasons. And I think the Ravens can definitely have a, you know, a top 16 rushing attack. They'll be better than most teams. But we'll see just how high they can climb and how well Alex Collins can do and how well the entire offensive line can mesh and, and build build lanes and create uh, room for Alex Collins, Javoris Allen, and Kenneth Dixon, if not one of the other UDFA guys that are 
currently in competition. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see how that center competition shakes out because that could certainly kind of impact what happens in the, for the rest of the line because I think if, if Lewis wins that center job, I believe fully that, that Hurst has the potential to beat out Skura for left guard, but I don't think that's... But in the same way, in the same breath, I don't. I think if Skura wins the center job, I don't think that Hurst is going to beat out Lewis for left guard, if that makes any sort of sense. That's just kind of my take on it. But I want to switch on. I want to talk about the spotlight, the guy that everyone's talking about, uh, the quarterback, uh, Robert Griffin III. What do you kind of think about him? Because when I went, he was really, really surprising. That was some sarcasm there. But Robert Griffin III really surprised me. I thought that he had little to no chance making this roster, but then he... He, I know he's only getting the third team reps, but he's looked really strong as of late. And then Lamar Jackson, obviously kind of the highlight of camp, someone that everyone's always talking about. You got to talk about him. I think he's at up and down. And then Flacco, like I mentioned before in the earlier segment, I thought Flacco looked the best he's ever he's ever looked in a training camp. I really like Robert Griffin III. I've been a fan of his since his rookie year. Uh, I've seen what he's capable of producing. I had a couple Washington Redskins fans uh, in my college dorm. I really think RG3 is a good football player. What occurred with his knee and the coaching surrounding RG3 and the eventual kind of collapse of his play, and then he got shipped off to the worst quarterback situation in the NFL year after year, the Cleveland Browns. And of course he didn't, you know, he wasn't successful there. They didn't have a quarterback coach at Washington at one point, but getting back to him being on the Baltimore Ravens, I was confident he had an opportunity. I didn't say he was you know, a lock to make the team, but he damn sure wasn't going to miss the roster, you know, like guaranteed day one, hey, you have no chance of making this roster, but we still want you here for reps. That's definitely not what was going on when he signed on for, uh, for uh, or excuse me, with the Ravens. I think he has a real shot at landing on the roster because he's not just, you know, the mentor for Lamar Jackson. He's a capable quarterback, and he even could, uh, you know, take the second spot, and if Heaven forbid anything happens to Joe Flacco. They could be trouting, you know, trotting RG3 onto the field as opposed to Lamar Jackson for the reason of maybe he's better than him already or he's more NFL prepared. And then also they don't they don't want Lamar out there in 2018 and they're willing to have RG3 be that guy instead, even when wins slash if Flacco were to ever go down with an injury. Uh, I've always liked RG3. I think he's a good player. You know, he was he was a great passer with the Skins. With uh, with Pierre Garcon at one point, I've always liked his play, and uh, you know he was also a great runner. It was just unfortunate coaching and a couple of injuries, and uh, you know that breaks you down mentally. And he just couldn't put it together all at the same time. And then he got to the Cleveland Browns; it wasn't going to work out, obviously. But I really like what he's done on the field so far. Only four days in, but I've been impressed. I've been impressed. Hopefully, the goal is that that Joe plays good enough. In my opinion, the goal for them should be that Joe plays good enough in 2018 that he entices someone to trade for them maybe I mean I was talking about this before in a, in a previous chat is maybe a team like Tampa Bay who knows what happens with Jameis Winston maybe the Jaguars because they're kind of in a win now mode maybe Blake Bortles struggles they, their contract you can kind of get out of that in a way so maybe he kind of can, can be traded to a team with some cap space because his cap hit isn't crazy for the other team taking it on if they trade him so I'm not so sure about all that but but I definitely see your point about RG3. I mean, he definitely shocked me. I did not think he was going to play this well. Um, you talked about Anthony Averett, a couple other Alabama guys. What have you kind of seen from Averett? Because we, we actually, we, we're going to break him down later in the show. But what have you kind of really end up seeing from him? Because I know he was one of the guys that you called me and you told, told me about and said you were really impressed with him. And, and that what have you seen from him in terms of technique and his, his ability to, 
to kind of have the instincts for the position because that was something that I noticed from his college tape is his instincts. But as for as for uh, Anthony Averett, I had him as my uh, practice player of the day uh, two, maybe three days ago at this point. He had three pass breakups. He had that sack. Uh, he's, he's just really technically sound in a lot of areas, you know, as far as a rookie can be. You know, he isn't out there, uh, you know, playing like uh, prime Darrell Revis or prime Champ Bailey. I'm just saying as a whole, he looks in, ready for the part. He looks like he wants to start. He's practicing like he wants to start. And this early on, it's really important for players of this of his caliber uh, with his uh, uh, you know report to already start off fast, start well, practice well at the beginning, stack you know the John Harbaugh way of stacking plays on stacking practices, on stacking games, stacking weeks. And he, he looks like he's already trying to do his best in practice. He's looking sharp, and he's out there. You know, Harbaugh talked today about players that uh, some aren't ready for the NFL level after coming out of college. You and I spoke about that earlier today. And Anthony Averett, he's out there taking reps. He's out there playing. He's out there fighting. And he's out there trying to make a name for himself and be a part of the Baltimore Ravens corner back uh, and defensive back group. And another guy, the la my last question about the training camp, is another guy that seemingly no one's talking about. He was kind of the buzz before the training camp started, and now no one's really talking about him. He's Max Williams. You know, he's kind of on the roster bubble now because I consider Nick Boyle, and, and you, you, we kind of differ on Nick Boyle, but I consider Nick Boyle an absolute lock. Obviously, Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews are locks, but Max Williams, he's kind of on the roster bubble. If they're going to keep four tight ends, I think he would be the fourth, obviously, but it's kind of a question of can he earn his spot, and what have you kind of seen from him? I've always liked Max Williams. I was really excited when the Baltimore Ravens traded up you know, in that second round to go pick him up right after picking uh, Brashad Perryman in, in round one of that draft. Uh, I like what I've seen from Max Williams, but I can't say I'm thrilled with anything he's done. Uh, he did drop a pass in practice today and was pretty rough. And he even, you know, he even uh, had an expletive after the drop because of, of frustration. And he knows just how important every catch is and every play when he's fighting for a roster spot, essentially, after the Ravens just went out and drafted two tight ends this year with, you know, first-round pick Hayden Hurst and third-round pick Mark Andrews. This is a big year, and this is a, a lot's riding on the line, you know. His his job is is on the line. And so, uh, you know, he's fighting for it, and uh, I'm, I'm more excited on seeing an actual preseason game or just getting those pads on, you know. They only had pads on for one day. We haven't been able to really watch a whole lot. I think over the next week and uh, their practices against the Rams will be something definitely to look over over the next two weeks. Uh, you know, I, I really want to see Max uh, you know, fighting. I want to see, uh, you know, improvements in his blocking game, but I want to see him catch some passes and hit those big routes that, you know, we all expected him to do, uh, you know, a couple years ago. Yeah. Max Williams, his career, obviously, I think went on a negative trajectory since that knee injury. And he just hasn't been the same player. He hasn't had the same elusiveness. He hasn't been as agile as you would like or as he was when he was drafted. You know, if you go watch his college tape, he was much more elusive, much more agile of a player. And then the knee injury, or the rare knee injury that no one really talks about, really negatively impacted his career for the future. And it just, it, it doesn't, honestly, I don't know how bright it looks because when I was there, it just, I wasn't overly impressed with him. I thought he struggled a little bit. Uh, I think he had, he had a couple drops when I was there as well. So Kyle, we want to thank you so much for coming on, man. We do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Logan. All right. Thank you, Kyle, so much for checking in with us. We do appreciate it. We will now turn to our schedule preview. And now we're on week seven against the New Orleans Saints. And we're just almost out of that gauntlet. 
where we seemingly talk about every single show where it's a tough stretch and we're almost there. Um, so week seven versus the Saints, the home game. The Saints finished 11-5 last year. They won the NFC South. They beat the Panthers in the wildcard round. As we all know, they lost on the very last play in the divisional rounds to the Minnesota Vikings off that Stephon Diggs miraculous last-second touchdown. Uh, they had an incredible 2017 draft class that, honestly, every team is probably trying to recreate in some way, shape, or form. They seemingly got value from every single guy. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Ryan Ramzik was all, was great on the offensive line. Marcus Williams, I know he struggled on that one play, and that's what everyone remembers him for, but he was very good for most of the season. Alvin Kamara, Offensive Rookie of the Year. He was explosive, especially with Mark Ingram. Alex Angelo, linebacker from Florida. Trey Hendrickson, and then Muhammad. So tons of contributors right there. That's exactly what you'd want from a draft class. Coming to their 2018 draft class, they had that questionable trade-up that me and you talked about in one of our first episodes that we just didn't understand. I mean, they traded their 27th overall pick and a fifth-round pick and then a 2019 first-round pick for the Packers' 14th overall pick. They ended up getting Marcus Davenport as a guy that we thought was kind of a project, and maybe that would have been too early because he's a little bit raw in his development. Uh, in terms of losses free agency-wise, they lost uh, to retirement. They lost Zach Strife to Nick Fairley. They lost Mark Ingram is suspended for four games, but they had some key signings as well. They had Patrick Robinson, Kirk Coleman to, to boast their secondary. They had Benjamin Watson, former Raven, Jerome Bushrod, Demario Davis, Tom Savage, and then former Raven Terrence West. I mean, their defense was terrific last year. Considering where they were ranked as, as how bad they performed those first two weeks, it's incredible what they did. They were 17th overall, uh, 15th in the, in the past, 16th in the run. They had the seventh most sacks with 42 and then the third most interceptions of 20. Their offense was, as always, phenomenal under Sean Payton and Drew Brees. They were second overall, fifth in passing, fifth in rushing. I mean, what are you kind of seeing from the Saints team? Because to me, they look poised for another great year. I think they're definitely going to be in the mix, no doubt about it. You know, as you said, they rode that set number two ranked offense on a deep playoff run. Very, very well balanced, as you mentioned, on the offensive side of the ball, mixing up the plays, Sean Payton. And then their pass defense was noticeably improved. You mentioned those gaudy uh, sack and interception numbers, the, their interceptions, the only teams they trailed were the Ravens and the Jaguars, believe it or not. You know, Marshawn Lattimore completely transformed that defense, really, really almost by himself. And I think they're going to be a contender in 2018. Vegas is currently giving them the 10th best odds to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to count out the Saints when they have Drew Brees and they added, oh, they also added Cameron Meredith. I can't believe I forgot him. UDFA, they lost Willie Sneed to the Ravens as well. So you have you have those two guys, and their offense is really interesting to me. We're going to start with their offense. The biggest question for them is who is their number two receiver. I know they got Ted Ginn Jr., definitely a guy that might make an impact for them. Cameron Meredith, I would say that he's the favorite to be the number two receiver. Uh, they also added Traquan Smith, who to me could. I don't really know with Traquan Smith because Traquan Smith, he was such a boomer bust prospect to me coming out of UCF. I mean, he was one of the, he's a bigger guy, he's a bigger body receiver, but he creates separation. He can definitely contribute and he fits perfectly with that, that deep focused passing attack in New Orleans. And I'm looking at how the Ravens can kind of try to stop this team and stymie their strengths. And I'm not really sure how you do it because you can't force them to pass the ball because that's just idiotic. Then you're, you're letting their strengths get there. But how can you not even prepare for the run when they have Alvin Kamara? And at this point, Mark Ingram would all be back from his four-game suspension. So, And they seemingly have a solid offensive line. So it's really a tough team to kind of scheme for because what are you trying to take away first? What's your priority? And in my opinion, you just take away the passing game and you try to limit Alvin Kamara in any way, shape, or form. And you got to limit Michael Thomas as well. I hate to say it, as much as we despise the bend-don't-break defense, I actually think that's the, 
the Ravens' best chance to slow down this attack. Drew Brees, Drew Brees, uh, just so intelligent. The quick release, the sturdy pass blockers. You know they have those bookend tackles, Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek. I think they're going to be able to keep the Ravens' pass rushers at bay. The Saints only allowed 20 sacks last year total, which was second best in the league. And then their primary playmakers, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. Thomas does his best work from the slot. I believe the Ravens may want to shadow him with either Jimmy Smith or Marlon Humphrey, wherever he lines up, to to avoid a disadvantageous matchup. Kamara, extremely elusive with the ball in his hands. He racked up over 1,500 yards during his Rookie of the Year season. Frankly, I'm not sure if the Ravens have anyone on their defense that can neutralize him. Rookie linebacker Kenny Young might actually give them their best chance, but preventing Kamara from breaking the game open is going to require a team effort. The other question I have with the Saints offense is last year they had limited production from the tight end position. They brought in Ben Watson. Is he going to be able to – I mean, he had a pretty good season for the Ravens last year. He led, them, led their tight ends. But is he going to be able to be the same guy as he was? I know he's another year older. I know he was contemplating retirement, but what's going to happen with him? Can he help Drew Brees? Because, you know, Drew Brees loves his tight ends. He loves to get them involved, especially when he had Jimmy Graham. So is Benjamin Watson going to produce? Uh, switching to the defense, I mean, this secondary seemingly got better. Kirk Coleman, Patrick Robinson, they have Marshawn Lattimore, who was a shutdown corner last year, one of the best in football. And I don't think that you – I don't think I'd find much arguments with there. So he's one of the best in football, and, and he's only poised to have another better year. Uh, they struggled a little bit with their safeties, but Coleman, like I said, could get better. Is their pass rush going to continue to dominate, as you mentioned? I mean, th- this is a stout defensive unit that's only going to get better with some of the additions they've made, especially if, Mar- especially if Marcus Davenport can kind of make a big impact. If he can at least be a situational pass rusher, I mean, he could certainly – he has the tools to be successful. It's just a matter of if he can put it all together because – He's the prototypical pass rusher. That was the, it, it was just talent at that point, if he can put it all together. Absolutely. He definitely has the tools. I mean, we, we both agreed he was raw, that he was overdrafted. Uh, but, you know, he has the tools to be that third pass rusher behind the ferocious Cameron Jordan, the defensive end who came off a 13-sack year. And then on the other side, the starter, Sheldon Rankin, is a powerful pass rusher who kicks inside sometimes. New Orleans defense is built to protect the leads their offense provides. On the back end with Lattimore, he quickly emerged as, as one of the, t- the best in the game, the very possibly the very best in the game. Marcus Williams, I agree with you. That one play should not overshadow all the good work he did throughout the season. He's got a lot of range. P.J. Williams was already their, their slot man, very solid in the slot. They added the other another former FSU Seminole from DBU, Patrick Robinson away from the Eagles. The second is very talented, very deep. I think the Ravens are going to have to choose a run-first game plan for this matchup. Alex Collins is absolutely going to have to have a big day against those vulnerable linebackers. Absolutely. What are your final predictions? As far as the spot, home game for the Ravens after three games on the road, as you mentioned. New Orleans has historically been a much better team when playing in the comfort of the Superdome than when facing the elements outside. They were only 4-4 four and four on the road last year. Um, and it could also be a look-ahead spot for the Saints. Uh, after this game, they will travel to Minnesota for a revenge game. And then the following week, they host the Rams in a showdown that should have playoff implications. But on the other hand, New Orleans is going to be coming off their bye week. They have an early bye this, this year. 
So they're going to be nice and fresh coming into Baltimore. I think there's a few scenarios I can see the Ravens pulling this one out. I do believe they will be underdogs entering this game, but if they can catch New Orleans coming out of the gate flat and help Alex Collins can help them dominate the time of possession, that's going to be their best chance. But at the end of the day, New Orleans with Breeze, the savvy quarterback, their superior offensive firepower, and that improved pass defense, I think that's going to be enough for them to carry the day. I'm going with the Saints as well. I think the New Orleans Saints are going to – I think this is not going to be a fun game to watch for Ravens fans. I think the Saints are going to roll the, roll the Ravens at home. I just think there's too much offensive firepower for the Ravens to be able to stop them, and I think that defensively the Saints are just going to overmatch them. Uh, the key for the Ravens is just going to have to be they're going to have to establish some sort of passing game, something they've struggled with a little bit, but you've got to attack the seams because right now their safeties are the weakest point in this defense, and I'm just not sure if the Ravens can do that. Let's just see how the Ravens' tight ends look because I think Hayden Hurst or Mark Andrews, whoever, are going to be key in this game as well. But at this point, at this stage, based on what we know, I'm going with the Saints. Moving on, we're going to continue our AFC North positional ranking preview series. And we're going to do the inside linebackers. It's a little bit quirky here because two of the teams run a 43 front and the other two run a 34. So we're going to split the front, the defensive fronts, into three unique groups, one being defensive tackle, the other being edge. And now for the inside linebackers. And the 43 teams are probably going to have a little bit of an advantage at the inside linebackers, but it should all even out once we get to the defensive tackles. Um, So my number four team, At the inside linebacker position is the Pittsburgh Steelers. The loss of Ryan Shazier simply cannot be understated. He was their defensive centerpiece. They signed John Bostic away from Indy. He's another speedy backer, but not nearly the player Shazier was. Honestly, there's not much more to say about the Steelers linebackers. Vince Williams, steady run defender, nothing more. LJ Ford, Tyler Matakevich, they're just simply special teams guys, and they're Pittsburgh's group, really, they're the worst in the division by a pretty wide margin. Yeah, and I think we talked about this before the show. We're actually in lockstep on everything here. We have the same ranking, so it's going to be kind of boring for the segment, but I certainly agree. I will say this. Tyler Matakevich actually has been out of temple, has really been impressing people so far from the Steelers and OTAs and minicamp, so he could be a name to watch. But John Bostic, that's an incredible signing for them to help try to replicate or I guess you could say replace Ryan Shazier, but that's easier said than done. Vince Williams is a great run defender, as you mentioned, but... Not much value there in the passing game. You know, the Steelers right now have the worst core. But if they had Ryan Shazier, I'll just put this with an asterisk, I guess you could say. I would definitely put them much, much higher. I, I would consider putting them at two if they had Ryan Shazier. Yeah, I can't really disagree. I mean, it's unfortunate the injury happened to Shazier. Very good player. Um, my number three team is going to be the hometown Baltimore Ravens. Potentially a little bit controversial, but distinguishing between the top three units was difficult. Three-time Pro Bowler, C.J. Mosley, the jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I know he's been criticized for his pass defense, but I actually think he's pretty good in coverage. He had eight pass, pass defenses or pass deflections last year, including a, game, a pair of game-changing uh, interceptions. And I really put more of the blame on the safeties for the issues covering tight ends. Um Conversely, I believe Mosley's run defense is actually overrated. He racks up the tackles, but many are well downfield, and he loses against running backs one-on-one in the hole, whether it be in short short yardage or goal line, too often, too often. Peanut, I think he's also a little bit undervalued among the fan base, and he's going to be better with another year under his belt at the position as a converted safety. 
Behind the starters, however, the Ravens really don't know what they have in Kenny Young and Bam Bradley. And in the case of Albert McClellan, they do know what they have, and he's just a replacement-level player. So the lacking depth there keeps the Ravens behind the Ohio teams for me. I also have the Baltimore Ravens at number three. Kamala Correa, I think that he's kind of like a master of none, jack of nothing, because when you look at him, he, they have him an inside, they have him an outside linebacker, but he struggles, at, certainly an inside linebacker, doesn't have the instincts for the position, definitely struggles with that. I'm not sure if he even has the athleticism to be an, an inside linebacker, just struggled a lot. Albert McClellan, certainly a guy that you can kind of plug and play anywhere. He's very versatile, but he's just an average or maybe a below average player at every position. Struggles a, a lot at inside linebacker, especially with wrapping up tackles. I, there's a couple missed tackles, too much for my liking at least. Bam Bradley, he's expected to start on the pup list for the regular season, meaning they could come back after week six, but unknown. I mean, he's still a very, very unknown player at this point. I know he flashed a little bit in, in preseason, which got him a roster spot. And he was looking pretty good. Everything was looking promising, but he suffered that ACL injury towards ACL. So it's kind of unknown what they have with him. Kenny Young, I'm actually a lot higher, as we talked about in the last show, I'm a little bit higher on Kenny Young than you are. I think Kenny Young, so here's my idea for the Baltimore Ravens that they could do with this position. And I think they can do an L, a linebacker by committee approach. Obviously, you have C.J. Mosley certainly as your main guy. You have him as your Mike. You have him as your, 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 your Mike linebacker. But. Next to him, you can kind of do a situational approach. If you're if you're on a third down situation, it's a pot pass situation, and you're not in your nickel and dime packages, I think you could find a way to fit Kenny Young in there. Even if they are in the nickel dime package, maybe you can put Kenny Young in there because he's kind of versatile enough and he's athletic enough and he's very good in pass coverage, and you could find a way to use him. And that's something that I that I want to stress to Ravens, the Ravens fans, is that. They drafted him, in my opinion, they overdrafted him. He could have went a little bit later, but they drafted him because of his ability and coverage. They drafted him because of what he can do and what he's shown to do at UCLA. His biggest weakness, as we mentioned, was the stopping the run. Now, Patrick Onwasu, Peanut, he had a great year last year, and he, his strength is stopping the run, but he struggles in coverage. So there's your little linebacker by committee approach. And you know just as well as I know that I am not in the camp of re-signing C.J. Mosley for the money that he's commanding. Don't get it twisted. I think that C.J. Mosley is an incredible player. I think he's a defensive leader. He's the quarterback of the defense. He's a phenomenal player, and they should, not, they should try at all costs not to let him walk out of the building or get out of the building next year. But he's not worth that 10 to $12 million range. He's not worth Luke Keekley-type money. He's not worth... Uh, Quan Alexander type money. He's not worth the money that the Texans just paid Bernardrick McKinney. I don't think McKinney's worth that money either. And that's something you have to really think about, especially from a team that's so strapped for cap space right now, is can they afford to pay a guy like this who struggles, as you mentioned, a little bit in run in run uh, defense, but I think he struggles way more than you think he does in pass defense. I think he's not nearly as good of a, uh, in, in coverage as many are touting him to be. I think that his ability in coverage, at times he misreads plays, he undercuts balls, and listen, I'm not blaming the 4th and 12 on him because it was entirely on Maurice Kennedy, but had Mosley been a little bit deeper in his route, I think he could have got a, uh, a fingertip on that ball and Boyd might not have caught it. So I'm not trying to hate on C.J. Mosley. I'm not trying to say anything like that. But the thing is, I think he's slightly overrated. That's why they're number three for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Moving on to my number two team, Cincinnati Bengals. Vontae's perfect. Right, he has rightfully earned a reputation as a dirty player, no question. But when he is on the field, he makes plays. By far their best run defender. And he can also do... Uh, man coverage pretty well and he also picks up an occasional sack Preston Brown's another hard hitter that they 
uh, signed away from Buffalo. And then at the strong side spot, they have Nick Vigil. He's expected to start. But I actually think Carl Lawson's going to take over that job. He's a hybrid defensive end, outside linebacker out of Auburn, who really came on strong as a rookie last year with eight and a half sacks. And then their backups, they're very deep. Uh, Vincent Ray, another former starter who excels against the pass. And then their rookie third-rounder, Malik Jefferson out of Texas. He has all the tools to really succeed at the next level. Freak athlete. I think he's going to fill in reasonably well during Burfick's suspension. Absolutely. And just to save time and not repeat you, I agree with everything you just said. But I will say this. I think that Malik Jefferson out of Texas is actually going to win that starting job sooner rather than later. I don't think he's going to start the season, but I think towards the middle of the season, he's going to win that starting job. That guy's he's an incredible athlete, as you mentioned. He's, he excels in coverage, which is something that the Bengals desperately need. Struggled, their linebacker struggled in coverage a little bit last year, and I think if you pair him with Perfect, once Perfect gets back from a suspension, I, Jefferson could be the perfect complimentary piece to him. So that's something to look at with the Bengals. So believe it or not, we completely agree on these rankings, and we both have the Cleveland Browns as our number one linebacking group, which kind of seems a little funny to say. But uh, their division leading 3.4 yards allowed per rushing attempt allowed them to earn my top spot, while former All-Pro Jamie Collins has been a massive disappointment since the trade with New England. Their middle linebacker, Joe Scobert, has greatly improved. He has excellent instincts. He's extremely tough against the run and also pretty decent in zone coverage. And then Christian Kirksey, he's another underrated player. He can contribute in a lot of ways. And finally, Michael Kendricks, formerly of the Eagles, is another hard hitter who can blitz effectively and definitely help in pass coverage. I think Kendricks is going to earn a lot of playing time. Absolutely. I certainly agree. I think the Browns have the deepest for I think the deepest and the most talented inside linebacker core I mean Scobert, Collins, Kirksey and Ken, Michael Kendricks that all four of those guys could seemingly start on almost every team and then and two of them obviously might not play or, or whatever so you have to think about the, the depth that they're going to have even if they suffer an injury they'll still be one of the top units in the league for sure without a doubt our next segment we're going to continue our rookie preview series we started from the seventh round working our way up to the top and we are going. This is going to be our last play that we preview from day three until we move on to the day two picks next week. Anthony Averett, cornerback, was the 18th pick in the fourth round and actually has ties to the Ravens. He's the nephew of Bryant McKinney, the uh, the big mauling left tackle from the 2012 Super Bowl run. He's slightly undersized, Averett, carrying 185 pounds on a 5'11 frame, but he has good leaping ability and great speed as evidenced by his 4.36 second 40-yard dash time at the scouting combine. A former four-star recruit out of Jersey, he went to Alabama as an athlete without a set position and did not see much action until 2016, his fourth year in the program, due to Nick Saban's incredible defensive recruiting. But in 2016, he did start 13 games across from current Raven Marlon Humphrey and posted eight pass deflections. And then last year, in 2017, he managed another eight pass breakups with an interception. Personally, I was surprised he lasted until the fourth round. I projected him to be a day two pick. But I think the fact that he was a fifth-year senior that'll turn 24 this November probably made some teams question his upside. Absolutely. Averett, as we mentioned before in our, tra in our first segment about the training camp, Averett's been a star in training camp for sure. Uh, he could definitely be fighting for snaps this year. Coming out of Alabama, we always talk about guys that are pro-ready and He's one of the most pro-ready players 
uh, for the, in the Ravens draft class, believe it or not, even though he was selected on day three. I think that was one of those picks where Ozzie was like, I can't believe he's still here. It was, it was just a classic Ozzie pick where cornerback really wasn't a need, but he, he was surprised. He was the best player on the board, so you had to take him. Uh, he could play slot on the outside, 5'11", 5'11", a little bit smaller than the outside, but kind of like what Tavon Young did. He'll struggle a little bit against the bigger-bodied receivers, but he could certainly hold his own a little bit on the outside, but I think he's better in the slot. He's the smaller, speedy guy. He ran a 4.36 at the combine. He showed great instincts, have fluid hips. Uh, he can definitely contribute on special teams right away. Uh, as I mentioned before, great press technique, and that's something you see a lot from Saban's secondary. Is guys who know how to press because they run a lot. They run some press coverage there, and I love his press ability. And then, but the the issues with him: one, his size obviously certainly limits where you can really play him, and then. He's, he's not really a ball hawk in the sense that he doesn't really get a lot of interceptions. I think he only had like one career interception in Alabama. So he's not going to be a superstar shutdown cornerback, but I believe he can be a solid starting cornerback. Maybe he'll be a good slot guy for years to come in Baltimore. I definitely agree with that, that uh, analysis. He's, he is the opposite of a ball hawk. He gets his hand on a lot of passes, but he cannot corral them on tape. I noticed that he flat-out dropped a gimme interception in the end zone versus LSU, and then he had another ball that went right through his hands in the national championship game against Georgia. Uh, the other negatives to his game that I noticed on tape is that he tries to strip the ball out instead of wrapping up as, uh, as a tackler, which could result in some missed tackles at the pro level, and he's not the most physical defender. He has trouble getting off blocks and occasionally tries to shy or occasionally shies away from contact. And he has trouble against bigger body targets. He has, uh, with that back shoulder fade, and as well as uh, he can be boxed out effectively on comeback and curl routes. But he does definitely has a lot of strengths. He's a very polished player. Very, very smooth in coverage with plus reactive athleticism and long speed. Quick feet with short choppy strides. Technically sound. Extremely technically sound. I mean, he's proficient in both the shuffle and the backpedal technique. His man coverage is downright excellent, consistently in the hip pocket of the receiver throughout the game. I mean, really, almost 80 90% of the tape I watched, he was smothering the receiver on every play. And he can also contribute by blitzing from the slot. He has good acceleration off the edge, which helps him get in the backfield and disrupt some plays. Absolutely. Averett, to me, is, again, like I said, he's the classic Ozzie Newsome pick. There's not, and, and the thing with him that I think a lot of people are going to miss or a lot of, uh, a lot of people are going to kind of try to put him in is they're going to try to put him into a box. And they're going to try to say he's just your classic 5'11 cornerback, smaller slot guy. But I think he, he's a little bit more than that because of his athletic ability. He's such a good athlete, and you don't really don't – and it's kind of rare to see a guy with his kind of measurables. I mean, he doesn't have the greatest length at all. I mean, I don't want to try to project that he's just like kind of like size, like size length kind of guy. But I mean, he had a bench. He had 13 reps at the bench press. He was ran, he jumped a 31 and a half in the, in the uh, vertical jump. He had a 119 inch broad jump, and his three cone was a 6.93, which is a pretty solid time. So he's a really speedy guy from New Jersey. So. The thing is, is don't put him into a box and say he's just going to be a slot guy because, again, I know his size limits, and I know I said he's better as a slot, but just like Tavon Young did his rookie year, you can always throw him to the outside as long as you pick your matchups because he's a guy, in my opinion, and this is kind of a hot take, but if he gets better in terms of his coverage ability and his shadow ability, he's a guy who can compete with Antonio Brown in terms of staying with him, kind of a guy like that. 
because a smaller, speedier uh, wide receiver. Sure, sure. And a lot of teams now utilize bigger body targets in the slot sometimes. So I do think he's going to struggle with bigger guys until he gets a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger. But it doesn't mean that he's completely bound to the slot and he can't do anything else. And, you know, he just has that excellent technique that he learned at Alabama. Some people are tired of the Ravens picking Alabama players. Personally, I think it's a brilliant strategy. They're the best coach team. And they recruit the best athletes. Now, some of the guys on the inside, maybe their defensive tackles and linebackers, they get a little bit banged up at the collegiate level, don't quite live up to their potential at the next level. It's also a little bit hard to identify who's really, you know, the engine that's driving some of the play on the defensive line. But a cornerback, you know, they're isolated. I don't know, Island, you can see their natural talent. So I think Averett, he's going to be a good player for the Ravens. The, Ozzie Newsom wouldn't have taken him otherwise. We know he has Alabama connections. And the Ravens now have depth on depth on depth at corner. It's a great problem to have. Uh, and he's going to be a day one contributor on special teams punts, I believe, with Tavon Young and Averett. Now the Ravens have two guys that can be that really that elite gunner and also that jammer on the outside. So I think their special teams are going to continue to be near the top of the league. And he was just a really, really high-quality day three selection. Yeah, we talk a lot about how Harbaugh values special teams and sometimes he values them to a fault. But this guy is going to be a star on special teams. He could be like a Chris Moore-type-level gunner where he's able to just beat his guy and get right to the ball. So Anthony Averitt's going to make it. You're going to have to say his name a couple times over the course of this season, but what guy on the Ravens during the preseason do you think is going to turn heads and maybe people maybe undervalued or not really realize what he's actually going to do during the season? I think Ravens, Ravens Nation is currently undervaluing John Brown, the wide receiver. He has a career average of 14.5 yards per, per reception, and he was timed with 4.3 flat speed. I mean, that's just incredible elite speed is going to pair very well with Flacco's strong arm. And I think the Ravens are going to really need him to open things up. They need to make him a focal point of the offense in the regular season. I'm not sure how much uh, preseason burn he's going to necessarily receive, but once the season starts, they need to, they need to make him a, a priority to get him involved early and often. And I'll go out on a limb here and I'm going to predict that John Brown is going to lead the Ravens in receiving yards in 2018. I don't think he's obviously not going to, he's not a big time red zone threat like a Crabtree who's going to have, you know, double digit touchdowns hopefully. But I think Brown's going to lead the team in yards. But the guy that I think is going to turn heads that a lot of people are really undervaluing is Miles Humphrey. Miles Humphrey is an athletic freak. Uh, he can play defensive end, he can play outside linebacker. He can, because of his size, he can also play inside linebacker. They've been putting him everywhere, kind of testing him, see what he can do. And he's another guy that really caught my eye during training camp. And trust me, Miles Humphrey is a guy to look out for. He might make the roster as a UDFA. He's one of the guys that could continue that 14-year streak. I think the Lance Turner is another guy that people are sleeping on as well. I've talked about the Lance Turner enough on this podcast alone, but the Lance Turner looked good in returning kicks in the practice I went to, and he also looked smooth in like the, uh, the red zone drills they were running where they hands the running back in the goal line situation. So, Delance Turner, Miles Humphrey, two guys up and watch out for. Could be superstars in training camp because remember, the Ravens have that extra preseason game, meaning that some of those lesser-known guys are going to get more time, especially in that Hall of Fame game 
Uh, so those are going to be the guys who are going to be watching at some point in time. So for a majority of the game, so definitely look out for that. That's going to be it for us. Thank you so much, and make sure you stay tuned to BaltimoreBeatDown.com for the latest updates. With that, you hear the music, we're out. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.